If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 175 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Greg Sattel. Greg is an author, speaker, and an expert on innovation and change. And Jeff, I know you've been a fan and follower of Greg for a long time. So give us a little preview. What did you get to cover with him? Well, as you said, I've been a fan of Greg's work for quite a while. He's just a really insightful thinker about innovation and strategy and leadership and I've had it on my list for quite a while now to reach out to him about being on the show. And then just completely coincidentally, when I did finally reach out to him, I learned he was on the verge of publishing a new book. And the book is called Cascades, How to Create a Movement that Drives Transformational Change. And so as you might expect, we focus a good bit of our discussion on the book. I got a chance to read the galleys before we talked, and it really is an insightful and well-researched exploration of how to create and lead large-scale change. And in many ways, the book and this conversation with Greg are a great complement to your recent interview with Janeway Skillern, as networks are really at the heart of the territory that Greg covers in Cascades. Now, anyone who's interested in leading transformational change, and I'm going to assume that that applies to most learning leaders, those people will definitely benefit from listening into this conversation and also from reading Cascades. Well, as you know, Jeff, we actually talked about serendipity and the concept of serendipitous learning and, and impact at our recent learning technology design virtual conference. And so I think it's intriguing that we sort of have double serendipity here. You, you finally reached out to Greg, and it turns out he was uh, on the verge of publishing this book. And then the other aspect of, of the serendipity is that I think that this conversation, as you said, dovetails so nicely with the conversation I had with Jane Way Skillern. And so listeners who haven't already should definitely go back and check out episode 174. But for the moment, let's carry on with our current episode and the interview with Greg Sattel. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeff Cobb. This is the Leading Learning Podcast, and today I'm joined by Greg Sattel. Greg is a writer, speaker, innovation advisor, and one of today's most recognized experts on transformational change. I'm an avid reader of his blog, Digital Tonto, and I'm pretty certain he is the single individual we have linked to the most across all of our editions of the Leading Learning Newsletter. He just he just always has insightful, thought-provoking things to say on topics like strategy, innovation, and leadership. Greg also has a new book coming out titled Cascades, How to Create a Movement that Drives Transformational Change. That's available for pre-order in the usual places, and it's certainly one of the areas we'll focus on in our conversation. But first, Greg, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's really it's fantastic to have you here. As I you know noted, I've I've been an avid reader for quite a while. Uh, really respect your thinking um, on topics that I think are, are really relevant to the the leading learning audience. I just gave you know a very brief bit of background on you there, but uh, you you have a very interesting, a very striking background. Uh, I know you spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe, for example. So. Could you tell listeners just a little bit more about uh, who you are and, and what that background is? 
Yeah, uh, it's kind of a funny story. I I took a job when I was 27. Uh, I took a job in Poland, I, which I thought would last for six months, and I ended up spending 15 years in Eastern Europe. Mm. Uh, about six of that in Poland, about eight on and off in Ukraine, also uh, some time in Russia and some time in Turkey. But my my time in in Ukraine led directly to to this new book Cascades because I uh I found myself managing a major news organization during the uh Orange Revolution in 2004 and I remember being just amazed first of all how confusing it all was mm. nobody seemed to know what was going on? Not the journalists I, I worked with every day, or the other business leaders, or the uh, political leaders I would I would see from time to time. Uh, it was simply um, uh, just nobody nobody had any idea what was going to happen next, and nobody who would ordinarily have any kind of power uh, had any way to really influence events. There just seemed to be this kind of mysterious force pushing things along. And I remember thinking that, uh, gee, uh, you know, it was just it was just amazing how thousands of people who'd ordinarily be doing thousands of different things all of a sudden stopped what they were doing and started doing the same thing all at once and running a significant enterprise at the time, I thought, you know, I'd really like to be able to do that. There's all these different customers buying all these different things. I'd like them to buy the one thing I'm selling. Right. Or, you know, I have all these different employees. I have uh, hundreds of employees, you know, all doing hundreds of different things. I wanted them to embrace the initiative. I wanted them to embrace, you know. And same thing with advertisers and investors. You want everybody aligned on where you want to go. And I thought, gee, that would be really great to figure out. And it took me 15 years, but it eventually uh, it eventually uh, became this book, Cascades. And I'm really excited about it. Well, I thought it was interesting because we were, you know, doing some emailing back and forth before this, as you might expect for an interview. And uh, I was going to put the question to you about how how your assumptions maybe had had changed in the in the writing of your your first book, uh, Mapping Innovation, and how they might have changed between now and Cascades. And uh, and I just thought your response was was so interesting because you well it had two parts to it. One, you noted that you actually started Cascades a long time before uh, you started Mapping Innovation, and then you said that in, in both cases. You really started because, as, as you just noted, uh, you were confused. Um, though it also sounds like, I mean, really, you were you were curious. Um, but right, I, I, yeah, right, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's that's really uh, that's really what I love about what I do. That I can uh, find something that's interesting and confusing, and I can uh, spend some time. Uh, often quite a bit of time, but eventually find answers. Uh, with my my other book, Mapping Innovation, it was some kind of a similar story where there were so many different ideas about innovation, and everybody has their own idea. But, uh, 
you know, which is the right one for me mm. running businesses over the years that that was, you know, you have, uh, you know, something like design thinking where, uh, you know, you look at it and Steve Jobs swore by it. Idea has has built a fantastic practice based on it. Stanford has an entire school around it and, and you think Jesus you know that really must be the the way to do it and then you you look at the uh, you look at, at what it's all about it's all about you know focusing on the end users and working back and 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 rapidly prototyping and iterating and and you think oh wow that really makes a lot of sense and then you go read Clayton Christensen and disruptive innovation mm-hmm. and and he says that's how you go out of business by focusing too much on your customers. <laughs> and you, well, which is it? I mean, it can't be, you know. And then you throw in things like the lean startup and right. open innovation, and you know, it doesn't. It's it seems like there's no lack of ideas, but also they're often contradictory. So I wanted to figure that out. How do you how do you reconcile those things? And what I found was was that innovation's really about solving problems and you uh, those different um, those different ideas about innovation apply to very different types of problems and and that's why I wrote my book about how to classify problems so that you can choose the most effective uh, innovation strategy and path forward well, and I thought it was interesting, and I, and I just thought of it because you mentioned Steve Jobs, who is maybe the antithesis of this, but uh, you'd, you'd made the point in our correspondence that uh, you found uh, the, the great innovators tend to be truly nice uh, people. Right, right. Uh, especially, so it's, it's a little bit different with Steve Jobs. Um, Steve Jobs was an entrepreneur, uh, and that's a little bit different. Mm, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. that, that's a little bit different. He also had fiercely loyal people around him. So it's, it's, it's a little bit different with entrepreneur. He wasn't just an innovator. He was running a company. And you could argue that he wasn't that great of an innovator. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't build those things himself, right? I, I, actually, he was he was a fairly mediocre engineer. Um, uh, but the interesting things that I found uh, were that uh, almost, you know, I was, uh, I talked to so many brilliant people. Uh, one guy who is considered the father of quantum information theory and quantum computing. Another guy who, uh, who developed cancer immunotherapy, just won the Nobel Prize uh, last fall. And I was so, I was so intimidated to talk to them. And I found that they were some of the nicest people you could possibly meet. And I thought, this really can't be an accident. So I went back and I researched the matter further. And what I found was, is that uh, the best innovators aren't necessarily any smarter or capable or more ambitious than anybody else, but they build better networks. And they do that by being generous and sharing. And that increases the number of people who are willing to uh, share knowledge and insights with them. 
And that makes them that much more likely to come across that random piece of, of insight that can help you crack a really tough problem. Mm. And I thought that was – I thought it was incredibly, incredibly interesting. I thought it was – it felt incredibly power empowering and also a little bit embarrassing because I was thinking – Maybe I'm. I should start being nicer. And <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's funny. I'm thinking of um of Louis Pasteur, who I think was the person who said that uh, uh, chance favors the prepared mind. Um, and you know, it sounds like well, a preparation might be about building that network, and and maybe it's as much the um the kind mind as it is the uh, the prepared mind that the chance is going to going to favor there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the things that I found in, in connection with my my uh, research on, on movements for Cascades is that all too often uh, a moment is mistook to be an actual movement. Mm. And the, the difference between the ones that succeed and the ones that fail is the ones that succeed have prepared their network long beforehand. So when uh, when you think about the civil rights movement, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is probably the March on Washington. But the the March on Washington didn't make the civil rights movement successful. The civil rights movement became successful, uh, which is what empowered the the March on Washington. So it was those years of building up that network. And when I saw, looked at things in terms of in organizations, uh, in terms of transformations like uh, driving a lean manufacturing program at Wyeth Pharmaceuticals, uh, which, it, you know, was a huge knowledge management exercise uh, it really depended, the success of the project really depended on how they built out that network mm. of practitioners who could then go train the trainers and train those trainers. And so that's, I mean, that's really uh, the idea that's at the, the heart of Cascades, at least as I, as I read it, your, your forthcoming book. Um, and, and maybe we can, you know, turn to really focus on on that right now. And, and to start with, uh, I think probably to explain that title a little bit, you know, what exactly is a, a cascade, um, you know, and, and why does that represent a, a different approach to, to change than maybe what we've uh, encountered before? Well, a, a cascade is actually a, a network term uh, that uh, that refers to viral activity within a network. Mm. And for literally hundreds of years, scientists have known that things in nature have a way to coordinate themselves. You can think of uh, pacemaker cells in the heart or certain species of fireflies that can coordinate their blinking and turn entire forests into this sort of Christmas tree effect or a wave at a stadium. Uh, uh, which is something that, that probably much more people are, are familiar with. But this type of, of viral activity, nobody really understood it until the late 90s, where there were some real breakthroughs in, in network science. So uh, what 
Cascades is about is how you use those scientific principles to get ideas to travel. Mm. And so if I understand, I've, I've read the, the, the galleys of the book. Uh, it's grateful to, to receive those in advance. And, and uh, I, I definitely, you know, strongly encourage folks to, to go and pre-order Cascades. Um, or if you're listening later, it's already out. Uh, definitely get it and, and read it. Um, now, if I understood correctly, or this would make intuitive sense to me, you, you, you can't necessarily engineer a cascade. Um, like you said, it's that, that viral sort of thing that just, you know, somehow happens uh, at a particular point in time. But, um, I mean, are there ways to, to get good at identifying, you know, when a relevant cascade is emerging and, and aligning your goals uh, with that? Well, you can't engineer a cascade, uh, or it's very rare. If right. you remember in the book with Otpur, they, they, they actually were able to somewhat engineer a cascade, but that was after they failed for six years. Right. They had failed twice before, and then, 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 they, had, uh, a, 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 then they had a plan. But you can greatly increase the chances of a cascade occurring, mm. and you do that by continually uh, – uh, by continually – building connections because and and that's kind of one of the almost paradoxical concepts in the book to to really uh drive influence influence tends to be a a behavior uh, a, a function of your centrality in a network so you want to move to the center of the network but the way to do that, to, the way to become central to the network, is by continually building connections outward. And so you're not so much moving to the, to, to the center, you are moving the center towards you by, uh, by, by building and widening and deepening connections. And that's, that's how you create the conditions in which a cascade can take place. Does that make sense? That, that does. And, and you, I mean, you characterize uh, kind of the, the core of it is, um, or you, the way you put it is uh, small groups loosely connected with shared purpose. Um, so, I mean, those connections. United by a shared purpose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that, you know, me as somebody forming a network, um, I'm, I'm connecting to individuals, but also by connecting to those individuals, I'm connecting with, you know, the groups that they may be associated with. Um, and, and you start to form this, this network, as you're saying, of, of uh, loosely connected groups that, uh, eventually, you know, the I guess the the whole becomes much greater than the sum of the parts uh, as you do that. Right. I, I well, as what you can do, I mean, you can't you can't form those connections, right? But you can empower them mm. through leading your community, right? Um, and by empowering those connections uh, and giving those connections purpose. You can give it direction. Uh, so that's why small groups, uh, we tend to be – small groups is, are what build strong bonds, right? And to do anything important, you need those strong bonds of trust and devotion and uh, uh, and everything else that makes for a strong relationship. 
but it's the loose connections between different groups of strong bonds that gives you reach. And that shared purpose uh, gives you reason. And that's how you can drive a true transformation. To understand the connections among individuals and groups across the networks that your learning business serves, you need visibility into the stories your data is telling. To get that visibility, we suggest you check out our sponsor for this quarter. Authentic Learning Labs is an education company seeking to bring complementary tech and services to empower publishers and L&D organizations to help elevate their programs. The company leverages technology like AI, data analytics, and advanced embeddable API-based services to complement existing initiatives, offering capabilities that are typically out of reach for resource-stretched groups or growing programs needing to scale. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash authentic. And now, back to Jeff and Greg as they discuss the concept of a keystone change. And I thought, you know, one of the concepts that you uh, introduced that uh, I think relates to that having the shared purpose uh, is around the idea of a keystone change. And I, I was struck by, you know, how many movements there were historically that, it really kind of floundered for, you know, long periods of time until they found that keystone change. They sort of found that, uh, that, that focus, uh, of purpose. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and then maybe, you know, some of the examples of that? Yeah. Um, some of them for, for decades, uh, had, had, uh, so the women's movement in the 19th century, uh, voting rights weren't even on their, on their radar. And if uh, even though we we know it today as the women's suffrage movement, because back then uh, women were treated as you know chattel, almost as as property. They uh, they couldn't own property. They couldn't get a decent education. They couldn't even um, they had no recourse against an abusive husband. So the idea of voting rights seemed far, far off. But eventually that became the keystone change that helped uh, empower women throughout the 20th century. Um, the, my, I think that the classic uh, example of a keystone change was with Gandhi mm. and, uh, and his salt march when – he first announced that he would march for salt. People said, people thought it was some kind of a joke. The British said, okay, we don't care that much about the salt laws. What do we care if he marches? And, uh, and, and the, the, the people in the Indian National Conference, uh, Congress who wanted independence, they wanted freedom. Uh, they thought, well, that's, that seems absolutely insignificant. But what Gandhi understood is that salt was something that you could could unite everybody. And even more than that, it would show that the British could be defied. And that's what made it such a powerful uh, event in Indian history and, and is widely credited as paving the way for uh, – uh, for Indian independence. And I think uh, one other example I like a lot is the uh, Paul O'Neill at, uh, at Alcoa. When he took over the company, it was struggling. 
And at his very first press conference, he said, uh, they asked him what were his plans. And he said, I'm going to make Alcoa the safest company in America. And they said, but, but what about the what about the earnings? And he said, I, I don't think you heard me right. My you want to see how I'm doing? Look at our safety record, because he understood that things like shareholder value and profits, uh, they might. Obviously, that got investors excited, but uh, it did very little for any of the other stakeholders within the company. But state, but but uh, safety was something that he could unite people around, and that would lead itself to operational excellence. And within a year, the company hit record profits. Now, I love I love those examples because in in all cases, uh, I mean, particularly the salt march and and then the, the safety at Alcoa. I mean you know, on the surface, those sound simplistic or, or naive. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, why, why would you focus on those things? But they were the type of thing that people could, you know, could, could really rally around and could, could grasp and, and, and put their back into basically. Um, and, you know, there are other instances that you talk about in the book, uh, you know, the Occupy movement, um, for example, where they just never seem to find that. Um, and they don't, don't really. Well, they're, they didn't even make it that far. I think there's, there's three levels. Mm-hmm. So any, any, change effort starts off with a set of grievances, right? That's why people want things to change. There's mm-hmm. something that they, that they don't like. Um, the, uh, the, so the first step is to get beyond that sense of grievance towards some sort of vision for tomorrow. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, getting back to profitability, or uh, independence, or LGBT rights, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important to have that big vision of tomorrow, which which Occupy never was. But once you have that that big vision of tomorrow, you have to understand that it's very difficult for that to really resonate. You need a change that will pave the way for change. And that's a keystone change. Got it. Right. And that's something that involves multiple stakeholders, uh, has a clear and and tangible goal and paves the way for future change. And so I'd love to uh, apply that then to the the world that, um, most leading learning listeners uh, are in. So they're, you know, they're providers of lifelong learning, continuing education, professional development, um, you know, and are, are engaged in presumably leading their fields and industries forward with, you know, the education and, and learning that they're helping to facilitate. So how would you see, you know, for example, um, it might be a chief learning officer at a trade or professional association, it might be a VP of learning somewhere. How would you see that person embracing the concepts in Cascades to really have that significant impact, that, that, that change that they're trying to create in, in whatever field or industry they're serving? Well, I think you need to think, I think all, all too often when we talk about leading change, we, uh, we think too much about pointing the way mm. and instructing where what, what tends to be much, much more powerful and successful is empowering change through people who are already enthusiastic, influencing others who are 
maybe slightly less enthusiastic. And that's how you build a cascade. It's very hard to convince anybody of anything. I mean, anybody who's ever been married or had kids <laughs> knows that, you know, convincing even one person can be very, very difficult. The idea that you're going to convince hundreds or even thousands of people uh, through some kind of mass effort uh, is, 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 is almost a pipe dream. But they can convince each other. And that's why this concept of small groups, mm. loosely connected, united by a shared purpose, takes on tactical significance. And so – you know, in terms of actually, you know, reaching out to, to, to learners, um, to, to serving, uh, the people that you want to serve. I mean, obviously there, there's a whole new world of technology that, um, that learning leaders, um, can embrace. Um, but I'm assuming, you know, technology uh, in and of itself, I mean, that's just a tool that's, that's, that's not necessarily, uh, going to create the, the change. Um, I mean, is this a matter of finding pockets of, uh, of customers who are, you know, focused on particular issues or, or areas, um, just a little, a little more flesh on the bones around, you know, what, what might you concretely do if you're, if you're sitting there, you know, running the business and, and, and trying, as you, you noted earlier, you know, when you were talking about, uh, being in Ukraine, running a business, wanting people to buy your stuff, um, basically, how do you, how do you get them to, to do that? Um, well, I think that you need to find, um, people who are learning within your organization, right? Um, there are internal programs, of, of course. And those, we were, we were talking in our correspondence a little bit about, uh, you know, hierarchy and networks. Mm -hmm. So I, I think you need to make that distinction between hierarchical types of training, which you absolutely need to do, right? I mean, any type of day-to-day -day activity needs a kind of top-down type of, of making the, the trains run on time. The problem is when, when you're talking about things that are really, really cutting edge, uh, that, you know, you take something like um, artificial intelligence, let's say, which is moving very, 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 very fast. Uh, how do you how do you come up with the learning resources for something like that? Right. It's it's very, very difficult because it's it's moving very fast. It's not like you can take a tried and tested program that you've been doing for the past 10 years. But what you can do is find people within your organization who are already learning about it. And then you can say, okay, how can I empower them? What resources are they using that I can help spread through the company? So uh, helping to helping those small clusters or those small uh, groups uh, connect through this uh, shared purpose of artificial intelligence or whatever it is. Does that make sense? That, that does. I like that because it's, um, you know, while I can still keep that traditional approach to education that uh, tends to exist in this world, you know, you have your seminars, you have your events, you have your online courses and webinars. Those are all valid. You know, you need to, to have those things. But I think, I think there's not enough effort at this point to find the informal pockets of, of learning, as some of which you may be able to identify at like your big events or that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, most organizations that are serving, say, a, a, 
a nationwide uh, customer or, or member base, they may not have a very good grip on, you know, the, the, the little group in Colorado that's working on something like, you know, as you referenced, artificial intelligence, um, along with the one in Vermont who's maybe doing something a little bit different. Absolutely. So, so, so uh, you know, when you're talking about something cutting edge, that traditional top-down, you know, day-to-day type methods don't work. Uh, or it's going to be very hard or, or going to, you know, you're going to have to wait 10 years for the field to shake out where, you know, you have good training materials. Um, how can you get that group in Vermont and that group in Connecticut to find a third group and start connecting with each other and empowering each other and empowering new groups to form? Uh, and and I think that's what's really exciting about the whole concept of cascades, not so much to reshape learning uh, from what we've done in the past, but to promote new learning on that cutting edge horizon, which which we've never really had a, a, a method to do before. If you want to create and deliver new learning opportunities for your learners across the country and across the globe, check out our sponsor for this quarter. Blue Sky eLearn is the creator of the PATH Learning Management System, an award-winning cloud-based learning solution that allows organizations to easily deliver, track, and monetize valuable education and event content online. Blue Sky also provides webinar and webcast services, helping you maximize your content and create deeper engagement with your audience across the world. To find out more about Blue Sky eLearn and everything they offer, visit leadinglearning.com slash blue sky. And now back to the discussion between Jeff and Greg to hear about one of the learning experiences that has been most impactful in Greg's life since finishing his formal education. Well, as we're starting to to wrap up here and continuing, you know, with uh, this topic of learning, which uh, obviously is, is central to uh, uh, to this show and, and to our listeners, we do like to ask everybody who comes on um, a question about their their own uh, learning, their own uh, learning experiences, and um, and specifically, um, this is about uh, learning that has happened for you as an adult since finishing your formal education what in, in that uh, range of time what do you count as one of your most powerful learning experiences uh you know you're gonna think this is strange uh i've, I've heard i've heard a, it all at this point so. <laughs> you know having a child uh, i uh, think is an incredible learning experience it gives you the chance to see the world through uh, you know, a completely new lens and it's just the absolute greatest adventure. Well, I, I can, I can certainly second that having a uh, two who are still uh, pretty young uh, myself and, and watching that development happen. Um, very enlightening and humbling all at once. <laughs> Well, great. Well, Greg, thanks so much for for taking the to, the time to come on and um, you know talk about cascades, talk about this uh, 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 approach or understanding of, of change that I think is 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 just really important uh, for for listeners to understand and to start thinking about how it applies and how they're reaching out to to their audiences. If if listeners want to know more about your work, which I'm sure they will, um, what's the best way for them to to go about that? 
Uh, you can contact me through Greg, my personal website, gregsatel.com. And uh, most of what I write eventually ends up on digitaltonto.com, whether it comes from Harvard Business Review or Inc. or Barron's or somewhere else. Great. And I, I will second, uh, I mentioned it to the, at the beginning that I'm a, uh, a, a regular reader of Digital Tonto. I definitely recommend that to, uh, to folks who are listening. And of course, you do, you do a great job of showing up in a lot of other places, as you mentioned, Inc. and Harvard Business Review, but uh, it does make its way back to Digital, digital Tonto. So, and we will also link to uh, the pre-order page uh, for um, Cascades, which will, I'm sure, turn into the order page for it at uh, Amazon.com. Uh, so we'll encourage folks to do that. And in the meantime, Greg, thanks so much for coming on Leading Learning. Thanks for having me, Jeff. That wraps up the interview with Greg Sattel. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 175. When you check out the show notes, and we do encourage you to check out those show notes, there's always some great additional information there. When you're there, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. It helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. You can do that by going to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, and that'll put you in the right place. Or if you listen to us on some other service, feel free to leave a rating and a review there. Jeff and I personally appreciate all of your ratings and reviews, but more importantly, those reviews and ratings play a really important role in helping this podcast to show up when people are searching for the types of topics we talk about. And we'd be grateful if you'd check out our sponsors for this quarter. Find out what Blue Sky eLearn has to offer at leadinglearning.com slash blue sky and find out more about Authentic Learning Labs at leadinglearning.com slash authentic. Finally, please consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leading lifelong learning, and you can share us with others on Facebook. However you do it, please do help to spread the good word about leading learning, and maybe, just maybe, you will help us start a cascade. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.